Guys, welcome back to the Working Fans Podcast. You can find us every week. We're on Twitter with @fansworking. We're on Instagram at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. Email us with your five three ones and your top fives at workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. This week we're going to start off strong and we're going to jump right into it. My name's AJ Strange Brew. I'm the former wrestler, stand-up comedian. We've got the number one fan of wrestling, my right-hand man, Dave. And then we've also got our producer, Joe. And he's going to talk to you guys right now what's going on in the world of wrestling. The first thing I want to talk about is NXT on USA. The first episode has debuted. Big things happening just ahead of AEW also getting on TV. What did you guys think of the first NXT episode? I loved it. I loved the rabid fan base for a visual that you don't see on Raw and SmackDown. I love the commentary team. Morrow to me is the best play-by-play guy out there. Jim Ross is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, but Morrow's the best doing it today. Nigel McGuinness, one of the best color mans out there. And Beth Phoenix, although inexperienced, when she talks, she comes off passionate and like she's bringing knowledge to it. So I like them as a three-person booth, too. I hate three-man booths, and I love this three-man booth. Yeah. So that gives you an idea as to how well they're doing right now. And one of the reasons why is because, to me, there's a lot less fluff to them. Mm-hmm. They're bringing raw knowledge to you, and they are talking about the guts. And quite frankly, it's what separates NXT from other wrestling programs right now is they are giving you, well, I hate to use their cliche saying, but they're giving you no BS. Very fast-paced show, too, which I enjoyed. I do worry about burnout in the long haul. That with the fans, too. Like I know they're going to be in full sale at least, I want to say, till the end of the year. That's the plan right now. I hope they do eventually go on the road with this a little bit. We saw Impact get burned out. But right now, that rabid fan crowd right there is great for Okay, TV. so here's the difference to me between Impact and when you talk about Full Sail. Impact was a crowd at Universal Studios where they're filming in front of tourists who are not specifically coming for wrestling, but they're handing out free tickets saying, hey, come and watch this show for free. Mm. As compared to Full Sail, where you have college students that are going to build a fan base. It's going to be their weekly thing to do. Hey, guys, how much noise can we make this week? Can we get be seen being rowdy here this week? It's going to be an actual passionate thing compared to a fan base that's coming in. And, well, I guess we can go see this free show. Let's grab the kids and go inside. So as far as match quality, too, like I thought uh, Io Shirai, uh, the women's four-way. Uh, what was it? Io Shirai, Candice LeRae. Mia Yim. Mia Yim and Bianca Bela. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. And I love the booking of LeRae going over because Io Shirai has a victory over LeRae in an outstanding match at the last takeover. So now with LeRae maybe getting the shot at the title, maybe winning the championship, it kind of sets up a fresh feud with her and Shirai. Well, the fact of the matter is, unlike a lot of WWE booking, this was not cut and dry. Usually I can predict what's going to happen in the WWE. Mm-hmm. The, with the NXT women and the way they booked this four-way, any one of these four women could have went over. All of them have been hot. All of them have had great matches. And it really could have went in any way. Highlight of the show for you? Uh, it was number two for me. It was probably the number two highlight for me. But I know what you're asking. You're asking, what was my highlight yeah, of the show? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> my highlight of the show, <laughs> believe it or not, was actually Riddle and Dane. Oh, yeah, okay. Despite the fact the non-finish, you didn't enjoy it. I actually thought the non-finish was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I like it. You know? Actually... In that same kind of like mentality, they're like, okay, they're going to want more. I loved Grimes 
that quick squash. I want to see more of this guy now. As you know, anybody who's watching our, and following along on our Twitter knows I was a big fan of that Grimes and Grimes, match yes. and the fact that he came out. And obviously we all know that he was Trevor Lee and that he's wrestled for a long time and that he's not relatively new to wrestling. He grew up in a background where his father in North Carolina grew up with the Hardys. Um, he's a little bit younger but grew up in that same time period and he's been wrestling for a very long time. The other thing that was big to me and the reason why I enjoyed the Killian Dane Matt Riddle match was because it was a slobber knocker and even though it was a no finish, the no finish is going somewhere. Oh yeah. With them going into next week and now the winner of that match is gonna face the champ, Bay Bay, mm-hmm. on the first two hour. Yeah, that's official. That's gonna be on okay. That's, 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 the, that's what they announced. It's I knew it was gonna be a title shot. I didn't know it would be uh, so the main I event, that's where they were going. The main event of that first live two hour show on USA is going to be Adam Cole versus the winner of that match. And there's no lose there. I think it's going to be Matt Riddle, personally. Yeah. But to me, you can't lose that. I'm excited. Uh, I would have to say my other two things I really enjoyed of this was uh, Walter and Imperium. I thought they looked like a bunch of badasses out there. And uh, Kushida getting involved, possibly leading to Kushida versus Walter on that same episode against AEW. I like that. That, That's a match that I've never seen. Well, they threw out the challenge this week that Kashida grab any two people you want and come face Imperium. Yeah. And that's most likely going to lead to a one-on-one contest for hopefully the UK belt on the first live show. And, and before we finish this up, too, if we're going to talk about this show, we do have to mention Strong versus Dream. Dream looks like a major star to me. However, Strong going over the Undisputed Era now. Run the show. This is great. They're the modern-day four horsemen in this thing. And because Cole costs Dream the match and his belt, I think that's going to lead to Dream versus Cole eventually, and that's going to be a money Eventually, thing. Dream's got to be going for some kind of major title. As much as I like the North American title, and I love the fact that it brings us back to a better time period <laughs> when Ted DiBiase was holding the North American Championship out of, out of Mid-South Wrestling. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I don't know why I could not think of Mid-South Wrestling. Sorry, Bill. Well, you preferred more of the Million Dollar Man character, I believe. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) WrestleNomics Radio reported about 1.179 million viewers that night came in number four on cable, they said. About half of Raw's audience. That's interesting because the WWE's making a lot of moves recently. It looks like to be competitive with AEW. They've got their SmackDown moving to Friday night. Brock moving to SmackDown. The WWE draft will start on SmackDown. Their second episode on Fox. Friday night SmackDown. And the name official. they're making it look like a legitimate sports draft, apparently. Yeah. What do you guys think about all these moves right before the start of AEW? Okay, so I think it's not just AEW. They got to make Fox happy. Fox paid a lot of money for this. And you can't disappoint USA either. So now there's a bunch of people they got to make happy. That being said, Friday night SmackDown's in a tough time slot for the long haul. But they're going to do their best, obviously, to get Fox happy. I believe the whole reason NXT, everybody thinks that it's just to meet AEW. I think the reason why NXT is on Wednesday nights is not because of AEW necessarily. Make USA But happy. because USA needed something, knowing that those stars are going to be going to Friday night. They needed something to bring those viewers in. This bringing them in and being the number fourth show on all of cable... And now having the stars that will be... Here's the funny thing. They're going to do a draft and they're going to pull all these people to SmackDown. And for those of us that are serious wrestling fans, what it's going to do for us is make us want to watch Raw more and make us want to watch SmackDown less. 
in my opinion. Well, where are they going to move people? Because NXT, I assume, is also going to be in the mix. So there's going to be kind of lateral moves. That's a, you know that's the funny thing. Uh, Will they let Raw become the B or C show at this point? Because it looks like they're lining up for SmackDown to be the A show. I heard Triple H on a conference call, actually, a Wrestling Observer Live podcast, and they had mentioned some. One of the people I had mentioned asked him about the draft, and he said, as far as he knows, they're probably not going to be a part of that draft. So we'll see how that plays out. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some moving and shaking going on, or he could just be kayfabing us, or things could change. But I think it's going to mainly NXT is going to pull talent from the UK. 205 Live, if that's not just going to completely go under NXT, we'll see. And I think that as far as the moves going back and forth, like Brock to SmackDown, that's got to be a Fox move. Like Fox wants us to be more sports-oriented, and could you have a more legit guy than Brock on your roster? I think Fox wants Brock and they want Becky Lynch. I think those are two of the people that they really want. Most likely they probably want, if you saw the build-up this week on SmackDown with Roman Reigns, I think they want Roman Reigns, I think they want Brock, and I think they want Becky Lynch. I'll tell you who they want, too. They probably want Ronda Rousey. Yeah. I don't know if she's available, but I'm sure they do. And she did almost lose a finger, but I'm sure that's back by now. (laughs) I don't know. I'm excited about the draft because, to me, they might, like I said, make Raw watchable again for the first time in a long time. Well, yeah, they're going to actually try to do their best to make this a very competitive, even draft. In the past, Raw was always the top dog, and that was number one. So you knew SmackDown was going to get the shaft. It was just a question of how much. Now it's like... Well, I don't even know. I don't even know who they're going to try to build up the most here. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with this. Well, the funny thing is you mentioned NXT not getting touched according to Triple H. But one of the people I could see being drafted out of NXT because he does not have a belt now is the Velveteen Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream, sure. Because he doesn't really fit into the storylines the way they're laid. And I could see him being a great presence on either show. I have a theory, actually. uh, This may be going a little off the radar, but just excited about all these different people crossing. Someone had mentioned the possibility, wouldn't it be interesting with War Games coming around in a couple of months of NXT, having maybe the Undisputed Era versus Imperium. Now, those are two heel factions, but I mean, that would be definitely exciting. Now, wait a minute. One of them is a true heel faction. The Imperium. One of them is a borderline heel faction. Yeah. There's no reason why the Undisputed Era could not do the horseman thing where they could actually ride the fence and go back and forth. When the Russians fought the horsemen, mm-hmm. the Russians were still the bad guys. I guess, and this, to me, is very similar. I guess I'm bringing that up because for the first time, if they properly split up these rosters, and with all the talent in NXT right now, like it's just a very exciting time. I don't remember being this excited for wrestling in a long time. I, That's not even talking about AEW. <laughs> I, I'm going to mention one more thing in the draft, and I'm hoping that this guy gets an opportunity on whatever brand he goes to. I know people Only hate Lorcan. No, people hate Baron Corbin. I love Lorcan. I think Baron Corbin is one of the best pure heels I've seen in a long time. And I hope that he gets drafted to somewhere where he can really get a spotlight put on the heel work he's doing. I like this King of the Ring matches. I thought he really stepped up to the point as a worker, too. Yeah, he carried that little fella. <laughs> that is absolutely wrong. <laughs> now, we've been hearing for a while the debut of AEW. They finally got the name Dynamite. And we're about a week away from the first episode. Everything, we've been talking about WWE making moves to be competitive, but AEW's kind of coming together with what they're putting out at the start. The first episode has Cody versus Sammy Guevara, Riho versus Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship, Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus Jericho and two mystery opponents, and MJF versus Brandon Cutler. Pretty big opening episode. They're trying to come out the gate hard. What are your guys' thoughts ahead of the first episode of Dynamite? 
I'll say this. I like the Road 2 series with this. It really does a good job building things up. They actually have already started building up Sammy versus Cody. And I think I had talked to you guys before about this. That Cody had mentioned on uh, the last episode of it. I think it was episode 2. That you know, he can't afford to lose this match. Otherwise, he's not getting a shot at the title. Which has really put an emphasis on the sports feel of AEW. And how wins and losses are going to matter. So I'm excited about that. I gotta say, overall, I think NXT personally has the hotter hand for a card that night. But at the same time, I'm just so excited to see what AEW is gonna do. And also, what I like about this with AEW, I don't feel like so far we haven't heard anything about them hot shotting anything. Like whatever they had planned sounds like what they're gonna do. What they, you know, they're in this for the long haul. I love the tag tournament to start off. I think that that's a great thing to do. I love the fact that they're doing it very old school. They're giving it a great feeling. They're not doing the tag match, all the tag tournament all in one night. They're going to spread it out over multiple shows. They're going to really give it the prestige that it deserves. We've seen so much tag action. Look at what they did, and I hate to bring back up the WWE when we're talking about AEW, but this is going to be an example of why the WWE's tag division is horrible and why AEW has a chance to actually do this. In the same night where they bring out the tag teams and make it look like they matter, the WWE at the end of the night brings out Kane, who's not wrestling consistently last week, squashes two mega tag teams, the tag team champs and um, part of the OC, squashes both of them, squashes AJ, and then gets treated like he's insignificant by the fiend Bray Wyatt. And now while I love you getting over Bray Wyatt in that, you made your tag teams look like complete dog shit. I do love the fact that they're going to put emphasis on tag teams. I don't think the actual the tag team tournament, any that's in the second week, right? Yeah, it starts the second week and yeah. it runs through October 30th. So that's like three weeks worth of episodes. You got a whole month worth of programming to look forward to right away. And you, I jumped the gun on that, so I apologize. But. And you've got Young Bucks versus Private Party in the first round. Lucha Brothers versus the Jurassic Express, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Best Friends versus SCU. And the Dark Order have that by. This is a really tight tournament. A good roster of teams on there, I think. Yeah. I have this feeling that the Dark Order is going to win this. That's the one thing I find interesting because, like, I'm not a huge fan of the Dark Order. I don't think they've gotten over very well. But, like, I look at this bracket and, like, they got to buy. And let's say either SCU or Best Friends win. Like, the way they've built the Dark Order, like, I think they're going to win that match and go to the finals probably against the Bucks, and I have a feeling that the guys formerly known as uh, LAX are going to come out and cost the Bucks. I could be wrong. I hope that's not how it plays out. It's a little confusing to start off with because you have a team called the Best Friends and it's not Cody and MJF, (laughs) so I don't really get where that's coming from. Salt to the earth. Yeah, salt (laughs) to the earth. To me, you have so many great tag teams there. The chemistry that the Best Friends have SCU, I mean, just pure athleticism. Yeah, we don't know what three we're getting. Telling. And that looks like Daniels and Kazarian, at least from the picture that I saw. Yeah. Okay. And tell me that the Young Bucks versus Private Party, that that might not be a coming out party for the Private Party. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an absolute... I think they're going to tear it up. Match. Yeah, I think they're not going to get the win over the Bucks. But, you know what? That would be a hell of a way to start but off an episode. Though. I'm going to be honest with you, I think the reason they put that match together is because sometimes the private party, even though they have great athleticism, they don't really put the match together well. They have kind of an extreme move set. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks will do a good job 
of making the match make sense. And I know that that sounds outrageous to Jim Cornette and some of the old school management who are like, oh, but the Bucks are ruining everything with their super kick parties and their high spots. But the Bucks have worked over the years to getting themselves to a point where they tell a story now in the ring. And even with their high spots and everything that they're doing, they're telling a story. And that is the influence that private party needs because they need to learn how to tell that story in the ring. And facing the Bucks in the first round is a great match for them. Now, with so much attention on SmackDown and the move to Friday, AEW Dynamite on Wednesday, MLW has kind of gone under the radar as far as promotions go. There was recently an article written by Kenny Herzog for the Ringer website that talked a little bit about MLW's business and about Court Bauer's credentials as a promoter. What do you guys think about MLW? What are your thoughts in the first, what, year, year and a half they've been going? Love it. It's actually been my favorite promotion to watch. I would say takeovers are my favorite events to watch. But MLW, as far as a weekly show, has become one, uh, probably my D favorite. There is such an influence of Lucha and MMA. Like, I've never seen that in one promotion. I mean, obviously it's called MLW Fusion, and that's really what they do. They fuse all these different styles in. And then we got teams like the Hart Foundation in here, the Von Erichs. You got this kind of, like, nostalgia with those names, but they're all new because it's like the next generation. And the Samoan, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Let's not forget about Loki. Loki's awesome as well. And then this week I just watched some of the first Joseph Samuel opens up with this blood all over his face to talk about how he put a gallon in that cage. Yeah, Contra like, Unit is on fire yeah, right I, now I love for that, that promotion. Like now, throwing fireballs and now, big Samoans doing moonsaults. You gotta talk about the Von Erichs also. Great? Those Von Erich boys are starting to catch on similar to their father and their uncles did in the 80s. They're starting to get really hot. And they had a waiting line for them for autographs for over two hours when they were in Texas. They couldn't even get away from the freaking building after that. That's how explosive they're being right now. MLW, I know AEW is getting all the press right now. They've got the big backer. They've got all the money coming in. Everything's going their way. They're on TNT. But if you want to catch great wrestling, you want to catch MLW, and you want to check out Fusion right now, and you want to check out their YouTube, because quite frankly, they're doing as good on TV right now as any show you're going to see. Yeah. Now, Court Bauer had talked about they're almost running it like the money ball and baseball where they're getting quality guys at low money, developing their character, and then that person goes on to bigger success elsewhere. Well, you've got people like Loki, who has burned bridges in other places. Teddy Teddy Hart as well. Teddy Hart, but two different ways of burning bridges, though. Loki burned bridges because he didn't want to do things that would actually be a detriment to his career and be a detriment to his character. Because like when he went to the WWE, Vince McMahon did what he always did and went, oh, what am I going to do with this little fella? Mm. Instead of actually seeing the strength in uh, the character. I love Caval. That's a yes. <laughs> I'm going to no-sell that. <laughs> and then Teddy Hart, of course, has put in more dynamite in his own career than the freaking British Bulldogs. You're talking about a guy who with his rampant drug use and problems through the years has sabotaged himself at every turn and now he's finally bringing it between them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the talent with the Hart Foundation with Brian Pillman Jr., now they're talking about bringing in Benoit's kid. You know what's funny is uh, that's one thing I noticed about Court. Like, he seems to, like, take these guys that people have had problems with and he knows how to get a handle. I thought when I first saw Teddy back, I was like, man, I hope this guy's clean. I hope he's doing well. He's looked fantastic. He's looked fantastic. 
And the same thing, I just like all these guys with potentially problems elsewhere, they're not having any issues in MLW. They've been there for a while now. They're still going. Low-key, well, same thing. The only problem they had was with Sammy Callahan. Yeah. Well, the other yeah. thing that they've done is that, that they've done well is they haven't jumped the gun. They're developing storylines. Davey Boy Smith mm-hmm. could be by far the champ there, could be the big name, could be everything. Oh, yeah. And they've used him correctly in the storyline to get over the group and to actually make the rest of the team relevant. So you're getting a whole dynasty. Well, that's a different team. But you're getting a whole actual franchise there. And MLW's on fire. I also love that Like I can watch MLW. And I'll see, like, crowd reaction sometimes. And maybe it's a guy not even paying attention. It might look bad. You would never see that on WWE, especially if it was, like, pre-taped. But MLW just kind of shows you how it is. And, you know, somebody will cut a promo. And if it's a good promo, great, you're going to hear it. But if it's a bad promo, you're going to hear it, too. Like, these guys are trying to work on their promos and stuff like that. And that's what I like. It's very raw. It's very... What it is is what it is, and I enjoy that. It gives it that old feeling. To me, Corp Bauer, keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. People forget that he had... MLW in the early 2000s, and people cut their teeth there, like your Daniel Bryans, like your Samoa Joes, your, what's that guy's name, CM Punk. You've got people who cut their teeth there in the first place, and quite frankly, wouldn't have been the stars that they were if they didn't have that opportunity. So if he builds these guys the same way he built those guys, the sky's the limit. MLW, they're going strong. 100,000 plus on social media. That's between YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We talked about MLW being under the radar, but there's some news stories that they don't happen to be headlines. They're more under the radar. Did you guys hear that Booker T has talked about wanting to manage the street profits? Oh, I heard a brief mention of this. I don't know much about it, though. On his podcast, he said he could take them to the next level, and he wants to put a little more street in them. No jiving, no playing around. Mm. I think that could be wild. It'd be interesting. I don't see them doing this because they don't really mess with managers too much still. I love it, though. I love the idea of Booker T being with them. Their chemistry was fantastic last week when he was with them for the few moments that he was. Mm. I disagree with them, though. If they take away some of the stuff that they do, they're not badass enough. They don't have, like, the AOP feel. Well, Booker T could give that to him. I don't know if he could. Angelo Dawkins, he might be able to. But the guy who's six foot five and 170 pounds, it's going to be awful hard to convince me that he can beat down anyone. And Montez Ford is really good at entertaining. He's a good wrestler. His athleticism's incredible. But he's off the charts entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would want I would want to take away from his entertainment too. So that's interesting too. Like, so as much as I like to see them toughen up, I kind of like the act the way it is. I'm sure they could be better. I don't necessarily like the way that WWE books them on Raw. We're like, hey, we're just hosting this party this week and we're hosting this segment. No, I don't really like that. They yeah. fit good in what they're doing for that though. They're really making the most of well, that yeah. opportunity. Well, the other problem with toughening them up is if you're gonna have a manager and you're gonna have somebody guide you. Should the toughest guy in appearance be your manager? Because hmm. I remember when I was a kid and I was watching AWA wrestling and I saw Diamond Dallas Page walk out with Bad Company. And I thought, why? The, I'm only a kid. I was like, why the hell is this guy twice the size of the team that he's uh, managing? It, so, it doesn't uh, really work. It, it is Perception is everything in wrestling. Yeah. And I'm not trying to take away from the Street Profits because I think they're very entertaining. And I think that they... And they're young. ...could work into it and eventually be one of the great tag teams, quite frankly. But you don't want to take away from what's getting them over. The other story that I thought flew under the radar was, did you see the emergence of Kaishin Liger at the Destruction in Kobe event for New Japan? I did. 
that was one of the most awesome things that I've ever seen. To see Liger just you? rip his mask off and rip down the shirt and the painted face and, and the, the bald head and the mist. <laughs> now, this is crazy because I didn't even know this was a thing. Mm. So when I'm sitting there early in the morning watching this on my phone, yeah. it was like Hogan turning heel. Yeah. I was amazed that this has happened three other times. Oh. Once versus Muda who I thought his face paint was very reminiscent of. Yeah. Once versus Bad Boy Hito, and then once in a tag match versus Taichi and Takamichinoku. But I love the fact that it doesn't happen all the time. It's kind of like Finn Balor with the Demon. Yeah. If you saw the Demon every week, would the Demon have any effect? To me, this has such a huge effect because you don't see it all the time. Yeah, I found it on Instagram. This, right. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like he's literally... Uh, he just, went after Suzuki with a knife. He yeah. stabbed the table. <laughs> He's possessed. It's, you're watching a possession live in front of That's you. That's good stuff. And this is lined up for a match at King of Pro Wrestling coming up, which is going to be insane. I thought the whole Liger versus Suzuki feud, I didn't know where it was be going. This might be the best thing I saw all week. It, it was definitely, I thought, the most noteworthy, but it kind of headlined our under-the-radar segment. Yeah, we can't headline it, unfortunately, because I don't think most of the people in North America have any idea that it happened. True. <laughs> but, Unless you saw it on Facebook like but, I did. But for those of us that are big fans, <laughs> I actually saw it just because I was watching for Japanese wrestling. And having a certain amount of love for Japanese wrestling, this is huge to me. And I... We've all loved Liger. Yeah. We all grew up with him being our number one cruiserweight, light heavyweight from Japan. We all love this guy. To see this transformation, I, I can't even stop talking about it. So I'm just going to shut up for now. For the past couple months, AJ, Dave, and myself have been developing this podcast. We started it as a place to talk wrestling since in our everyday lives, there's not too many people that we could sit and talk wrestling with. But we want this to be your go-to spot to listen to people talk wrestling. Now, the following interview, it'll be about AJ's wrestling career, but it also kind of serves as an introduction to us as a group overall. AJ, what are your first memories of wrestling? My first memories of wrestling, I go back to a different time period. I go back to your Georgia Championship Wrestling. The richest memories that I have is Florida Championship Wrestling. I grew up in a time period where Dusty Rhodes was my hero mm. and I was terrified of Kevin Sullivan. I didn't realize someday I'd be a foot taller than Kevin Sullivan, but at the time period that I grew up with, I was absolutely terrified of him. And to this day, I still have respect for that character because you talk about somebody who just totally dove in deep. And we talk about factions sometimes when we talk about different things in wrestling, but one of the original factions actually was Kevin Sullivan's faction down there where he had um, Maniac Mark Lewin he had wife, Mike woman, Davis woman who, ended up, who most of us know going on as Nancy Benoit and mm-hmm. later on as woman also it, it was just such a terrifying King Curtis sorry such a terrifying faction and I just between that and Georgia Championship Wrestling where I, first, I was well I, and then the other person who got me hooked was Rowdy Piper Watching Rowdy Piper on Georgia Championship Wrestling was absolutely incredible. Dave, what were your early memories of wrestling? It's it's kind of funny, uh, Rowdy Piper, because my earliest memories are probably Bob Backlund and Jimmy Snuka. But like when I really got sucked into wrestling, I would say it was Hogan and it was Piper breaking the coconut over Jimmy Snuka's head because Jimmy Snuka was one of my favorites. 
And there was just something about Rowdy Piper that I'm like, I don't like this guy, but also he doesn't look like he should be, but he is scary. Because he wasn't bigger than everybody else, but it was something the way he carried himself. Even as a kid, I knew, like, oh, there's something wrong with this guy. Now, guys, we know this is a podcast, so you can't see us, so you don't know that the reason why he loved Bob Backlund was because it was his ginger hero. Day, day. I never said I love Bob Backlund. I actually said those were my earliest memories. <laughs> I remember the cross-faced chicken wing. He's on like, Big why John does this Stone. guy have red hair like I do? But what sucked me in was Piper, Snuka, and Hogan. And then eventually I found AWA, NWA, Mid-South, which blew my mind. And Jim Ross, who was like my favorite announcer of all time. But that's some of my earliest memories and really hooked me into wrestling. Yeah, I was a big WCW guy myself. Yeah. I mean, obviously WWE up in this area. I was a Hulkamaniac. But I really enjoyed that 605 Saturday oh, night God, show. Yeah. Just the teams they had on there, the wrestling, the angles. I loved all of it. I used to walk around singing the Captain... You remember Captain Planet? Captain Planet, you're my hero. I used to (laughs) sing that theme song because that came on before WCW and it would be stuck in my head as I'm watching the wrestling. I'd be cheering for Nikita Koloff and sitting there going, Captain Planet, you're a hero. Real quick, I just want to say, since you brought that up, the 605 thing, I moved to Connecticut, or back to Connecticut when I was 12. We were in a military family, moved around a bit. So when I moved back to Connecticut in 12, that's when I found TBS and WCW at 605. And that was probably the second time I got totally engulfed in wrestling and blew my mind. 605 also our combined weight if I lose (laughs) 75 pounds. (laughs) Now, AJ, how did you make the jump from just being a fan to actually being active in the business to some degree? Well, I did what a lot of kids do. I used to read the magazines. And back when I was reading the magazines, you're talking about the early 90s, they always had ads for different wrestling schools in the back of there. And it's not like today where you can check on the internet and see who's the best place to go, who you can learn from. You pretty much had to just make a phone call or send a letter and hope for a response. So I called up and I had seen, growing up in the Mid-South area, growing up on that wrestling, I had seen Adrian Street wrestle for years. So when I saw Skull Crushers, I was like, well, he's a little effeminate, but I could learn from this guy. So I called him up, and I was—I didn't know what I was expecting, but he answers the phone, and he answers with that British accent, which I'm not going to try to impersonate because I can't. He answers the phone, and he's like, this is Adrian Street, and I'm, I would love to learn how to wrestle. Is there anything that you can do for me? And he said, well, send me your money, and I'll teach you how to wrestle. We got apartments here. I went down there. I stayed in apartments with him, learned how to wrestle for a couple months. Got stretched a good amount by a man half my size. I joked around before about Kevin Sullivan. Adrian's in about the same height bracket. But if you want to meet one of the baddest people on the planet, do yourself a favor. Go watch the WWE Network for $9.99 this month. Check out the special on Adrian Street, and you'll see what I went through. He would manipulate your fingers, your knees, your ankles. And back then, you didn't learn how to wrestle like today, where you're going to a performance center, They've got crash pads. They've got... I learned how to wrestle in a ring that basically had a rug on the bottom of it. So I would get rug burn all over me. There was cement underneath it with a pad in between. And you learned how to take bumps and learn moves and get the crap beat out of you. And side note, if I may put myself over for a second. No, please. I might have put, I pointed that article out to him on a magazine. There's a good chance. <laughs> now, Dave, what was it like seeing your friend do this, take this leap? I was excited. I was wondering how it was going to work out. One thing he left out, he actually just got back from the military at that time. Right, yeah. And uh, he had ended his tricep. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this will be interesting. He's going in there right now. But 
I mean, he sent me the pictures of him with Adrian and Miss Linda, which is exciting. And I think I've only watched you actually wrestled once, right? It was at um, Yankee, Yan- Yankee Pro Wrestling. Yankee Pro Wrestling. Which was exciting. But wait a minute, Dave didn't tell you the highlight of that match. Oh, the guy's ass dropping on his face. Yeah, the guy did a Booker, Harlem Hangover. The guy did Booker T's finisher, the Harlem Hangover. And he missed the mark by a little bit yeah. and landed ass cheek directly on the side of my head. I'll tell you one thing that actually bothers me a little bit is that because this was like what we're talking about 97, 98, 99, around that time period. Like, we don't have, like, any real footage of any of this stuff anymore. No, nobody was filming it back then. And if they did, it was on VHS and they were taping over it. Right. But the sad part for me is that Dave got to see that match. He didn't get to see the matches that I got to have against Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> didn't get to see me wrestle Rick Martel. The one match that he got to see was me get an ass drop on my face from... <laughs> AJ, who was helpful to you throughout your career? I had some people that were very helpful to me. I was lucky enough that in the New England area, it was very much like a family. So the people would help out in that area. There were wrestlers like Sky King. Scott Taylor, believe it or not, wrestled in this area. He was very helpful to me. You guys will know him as Scott Tuhati. But I knew him as Scott Taylor and as a gentleman who had probably the best mullet that I had ever seen in that time (laughs) period. And he helped a lot with the timing. I'm quite sure that my relevancy to him is slim to none. But I can tell you his his relevancy to me, absolutely huge. Because his timing in the ring in 1994, 1995 was as good as anybody who you could see. Another one who's unfortunately no longer with us was a gentleman named Steve Bradley. Those of you who may have seen him in the WWE Developmental or in the early 2000s, he was in the WWE for a little bit. He was an absolutely incredible worker and he was closer to my size. He was, I want to say about 6'1", 6'2", and about 225 pounds. By that point, I'm about 250. He was ripped, if I remember But, right, but yeah. he was pretty ripped up for most yeah. of his career. He did have his demons, and he did have some battles. We won't go into that. But I will tell you that between the two of them, uh, they were incredibly helpful and were always willing to work with you, give you advice. They were kind as can be in there. Another one who was really good was Rick Fuller. A uh, large guy, maybe about six foot five, six foot six. Oh, yeah. uh, very large man. He was but, on that show I went to, actually. Yeah. But he was always willing to give you advice and help you out, and I was very lucky that way. That's, uh, now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people along the way also, and I'm not going to mention any of them, but I went through the time period where you would go through stuff like the Chop Factory, where they would put you in the corner and basically chop you like 50 times in a row to see if you could take it and come back the next week. So there were... Both sides about, of the coin. Exactly. What were the indies like when you wrestled them versus kind of how they are now? It's much more professional now. What I see on the indies now is people that actually want to work together. Everybody rises together. Everybody helps each other out. Mm-hmm. People are trained professionals. They're getting... First of all, the schooling is much better. The schooling that people go to now, whether it's the Storm Academy, which is closing down, or whether it's places like Create a Pro, or places of um, the Dudleys, the School of Morton, Glenn Jacobs and Tom Pritchard. You have so many places now where people can get great wrestling training compared to what we went through. We were more of a, a trial by fire. And whereas these guys are just so good now. I have the utmost respect. I know a lot of the old timers would love to just sit there 
and go, well, back in my day, we could hold the headlock for three hours, and the crowd would pop. I will say this, though. There is one thing. I know no one asked me, but I just want to bring this up because it, I find it kind of interesting. One big difference, though, between indie wrestling, like when I first went back again recently, not to some of the ones I went with you, Joe, like where there was a real high-level indie wrestling, but we went to a smaller indie event. And I noticed a size differential between a lot of guys. Where like there were guys I was bigger than. And I bring that up because he was actually with me getting autographs and buying merch. Oh no, I'm a giant now. Yeah, and because <laughs> he was so big, there was actually a special needs kid who went up and actually asked for his autograph because he thought he was the wrestler. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, okay, right, because that's different now. I was very quick, though, to let him know that I'm the retired guy and don't do this anymore. Now, AJ, how did being in the business change your view of wrestling versus just being a fan? It actually made me more of a fan. Really? I have so much respect for what these guys can do on a weekly basis. When you look at people out there, your Matt Crosses, and you look at what they do and how phenomenal of a job they do, JT Dunn, people of that nature. You've got people traveling, working three, four times a week, traveling from country to country, working so hard and putting on incredible matches with so many different styles. To me, what they do now on the independents especially is more like what they used to do in the old territory days where you would have a Ric Flair who would be working as a territory champion and would work with so many different styles and had to make that different style look well. Well, the difference is back then, only the main champion had to do that. Now you have all these different indie wrestlers who are doing this on a weekly basis. And the other big difference is the women wrestling. When I was wrestling, you had people who, women who were trying to break through, but were kind of having a boot on their head and somebody going, no, you're not going to do that. I worked with somebody, Brandy... um, Alexander? Yes. Mm -hmm. I worked with Brandy Alexander, and I got to train with her back in Yankee Pro Wrestling in some of the traveling spots, and she was an absolutely phenomenal athlete, and she could work, but she was basically being told in that time period, you're doing too much work. We need a little bit more fluff and a little less of that quality work, so that's great. My point is very simple. It's amazing what these guys do, and the amount of respect that I have for them on a daily basis is astronomical. When it came time for you to step away from the ring, what was that like for you? It was probably the hardest thing. I realized, unfortunately, having a daughter at that time, absolutely amazing girl. She was born in 1999, and that limited me at that point to being able to wrestle maybe 10 times a year. And that's just not enough to ever be able to go anywhere. And the only reason I was doing it that much was because it's an addiction and I wanted to be in the ring. The night that we're doing this broadcast, I'm actually leaving from doing this podcast to go to Create a Pro. And it's a three hour drive from here, two hour drive from my house. And the reason why I'm going there is because I'm interested in just being a part of wrestling in any way that I can. And if that means being an old-timer, managing somebody and helping somebody out, or just being connected to it again, it's addictive. And it's something that now that my daughter's grown, I need back in my life again. It's, I hate to compare it to a drug, but it, it, it is. It's, it's a drug. Well, I didn't expect bombshell news on the show today. We're going to go to our top segment, the 531. 
where each of us bring our top five list on a subject, what's common or what we debate down to three, then we pick a top one. This week, it's the top five women who changed wrestling as we know it. Now, for my top five, I'm going to give it to you right off the bat. I had China, I had Paige, mm. I had Awesome Kong, I had the Bella Twins because they started out as one egg, so they're one person to me, yep. and Taya Valkyrie. AJ, who's your top five? I actually, for my top five, I have Medusa. I don't think she gets enough credit, quite frankly. She is one of those people who really was the first extremely athletic females that I saw wrestle. She did a different style. She wasn't going out there to look pretty. She wasn't going out there to dance around. She was going out there to be her own person. Awesome Kong, I agree 100%. I think that when it comes to just being able to manhandle other women and take wrestling to a different style, that she is just above and just so athletic. She's lost some of that now, in my opinion. But the original incarnation, to me, she was just extremely athletic for that size. Um, Trish Stratus. You talk about the Bella Twins. To me, she's the original of the Bella Twins. She was that person who was a model, could be absolutely gorgeous and on the cover of any magazine. And she just wanted to wrestle. And she went from being eye candy and barking like a dog to being able to wrestle at WrestleMania and be a great women's champion. So I'm always impressed by Trish Stratus. I can't spell this one. Please don't ask me to. Hiro Okuto. I believe Hiro Okuto. Right. Uh, yes. She was married to Kintsuki Sasaki. Yes, Kintsuki yeah. Sasaki's wife. Mm-hmm. We talk about original innovators and being able to actually wrestle and put together matches that other matches on the card might be fake, but I just watched her almost take a lady's head off. That's the kind of match she was having where it made you think this is real. And that's just absolutely incredible and a step above to me. My number five, I think this is probably going to be the most shocking just because she's so new. Mm -hmm. But to me, you got to put Tessa Blanchard on there. Mm. Tessa Blanchard is so incredible in the steps that she's taking right now. And I'm not going to even talk about her lineage because to me, her lineage at this point in her career doesn't even matter anymore. What does matter is every week she comes out, she's competing with guys now, and nobody's going, hey, I don't believe this. She's whooping those guys' asses. Now, we have this uh, list here this week. It's the top five women who have changed wrestling. As we know it. As we know it, right. I thought, now, this isn't much different, but top five most influential women in wrestling. So this is kind of the same thing, but I had a little different slant on that, all right? Because we're talking about five... Top women who influenced women yes. wrestlers, right? Okay. Yeah. So my number five pick isn't even a wrestler. Alright? I went a little different with this. Alright. Cindy Lopper. Hear me out. Because Cindy Lopper was responsible for the rock and wrestling connection, and she put Captain Lou Albano in her interview, thus creating the feud with Rindy Wichter and Fabulous Mula, which was on the first WrestleMania, and created a ton of buzz. They were trying to book Rindy Wichter like Hulk Hogan at that time. It didn't work, but they did try. I Cindy makes my number five. I see your logic, and I see your true colors. <laughs> Good. Now, we're going to continue with that. So, number four to me was Wendy Richter, because she had to actually perform. She was actually the woman in the match. All right? That being said, they're kind of neck and neck in that opinion, because I put them in there for the same reason, basically. Now, my number three, Becky Lynch. 
I mean, she was in WrestleMania. Uh, she made a bet. She made a bet in WrestleMania. And it's funny because I remember having a conversation last year with a couple kids at Takeover. And I remember they were talking about how Becky was possibly going to turn heel. And I was with a friend of mine. And like, oh, yeah, I don't really see that. And I was kind of in and out of wrestling at this point. Maybe just like keeping up with things. And then I realized, oh, wait. These kids are actually smarter than I am. They're focusing on the product a lot more than I am right now. And they're right. And then I just saw this groundswell for Becky. Like, it just came out of nowhere. And Becky Lynch was the hottest commodity in wrestling last year. And she main evented WrestleMania. So she's my number three. My number two, though, is Ronda Rousey. Because despite the fact she only had a cup of coffee in WWE, they ain't main event in WrestleMania without Ronda Rousey. She was a difference maker, and she took the shit seriously, unlike a lot of other celebrities. Yeah, I'm not putting Charlotte Flair in that list, by the way. She's not my number one. Now, she might be the best worker of that group, and she could be one of my favorites, but that's not what this is about. My number one, ultimately, is Fabulous Moolah. 28 fucking years... That bitch carried women's wrestling forever. And none of you guys put her on the goddamn list. I will say this, Joe, as soon as you said China, I realized I fucked up and should have had her somewhere on my list. So, that being said, let's well, break this down. Yeah, with my list, I tend to look at it as ladies that actually did change wrestling. Like, China was the original Tessa Blanchard, where she was wrestling in men's divisions as an equal. Paige, she came out at the start of the current women's mm-hmm. revolution. And really, I kind of think set a precedent for the style of wrestling that came forward. Awesome Kong, just a bruiser in her time. Holding it down for a a company that I would say has a shaky women's division as time has gone on. Dutch Mantel had high hopes for the knockouts division. They had Gail Kim in there. They had some real talents. They've had some real duds. I only put the Bella Twins on my list because they've led the current social media push. Yeah. They're huge on that. They've gotten young fans in through that. I they get were it. one of the leaders in reality TV. They had yeah. a show early on bringing wrestling to a bigger audience. I get it. I'm and not- I had to pick Taya because she came out of Canada, unknown, went down to Mexico, has made a name for herself. And she has been reigning in a place where Tessa is only starting to break into. So I guess my question is, who was multiples on our list so far? Awesome Kong is the only one that I think automatically goes forward. She's on two lists. Okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I got to tell you, this is the toughest one mm-hmm. um, that we've done so far. Yeah. I. I got to give it. I'm gonna. I'm giving a vote to Moolah just because, to some degree. She did change women's wrestling as we knew it. For she, better or worse. Or did she create the original women's wrestling that we knew? That's true. She did set up the first model for women's to me, wrestling. she set up the model that had to be broken. Yeah, and that's only recently been broken yeah. too because she was in control of women's wrestling and when it, it was basically still a sideshow attraction with midget wrestling. But here's my thing. It's game changer. Okay, <laughs> not influential because that's what I was going with here. This See, week. <laughs> I thought it was game changer. I thought well, it was apparently it was by the time we sat down. So you know, I got that wrong. <laughs> so, do you guys want to put Moolah on the list? Is that fair I, enough? I know you guys want to, and I'm outvoted. I don't like it because to me, she's what set up what we needed changed. 
Fair enough. Oh, I'm going to keep Mulan. How about uh, Becky Lynch or Ronda Rousey? I think one of those two deserves I think Becky Lynch deserves to be on there. And now I'm going to tell you what I think about Ronda Rousey. I actually think Ronda Rousey is influential. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously she brought with her a certain amount of the MMA glory. And she definitely made things big. But I disagree with Dave. I think Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch with Sasha Banks could have headlined WrestleMania just as well as without Ronda Rousey. To be fair, that's not what I said. I did not say they couldn't headline WrestleMania. I said, at the end of the day, they wouldn't have headlined WrestleMania. Let's break this down. So we got Austin Kong and Becky Lynch moving ahead. Who else do we include? Alright. I I'm, think China I is will, worthy. I think China over Mula for the three. China over Mula, is that fair enough to you? I'm gonna give China in there, that's fine. Because to me China's a game changer. Mula was what set what was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just my opinion. Makes sense. So now we've got Awesome Kong, Becky Lynch, and China. Well Okay. Who becomes the number one out of this group? Out of that group? Awesome Kong's my first one off. First one and off. And I know she was on both of our lists. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have longevity. She didn't really change it for all of wrestling. Right. She she just had a big effect on wrestling. I'm gonna agree with that. She I, was. I, 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 she might be my favorite out of that group. But in terms of like changing things and being influential, yeah, out of that group, you gotta go down to Becky or China. My only question is fair enough because Awesome Kong, she really did her time in Impact, and it's kind of if the tree, if a tree falls, falls in, in the, the forest. Wood, yeah. yeah. So Awesome Kong is off the list. We're down uh, to Becky Lynch in China. All right, who wants so to what argue? matters more? Who wants to argue for Becky? I'm still trying to figure out which one I think should be gone. <laughs> I don't really know. Because here's the thing. So China, all right, changed women's wrestling, and she was part of that attitude era. Yeah. The most successful era in wrestling. But not the most successful era in women's wrestling. Although women's wrestling was great. We had Trish, we had Lita. It didn't last. It fell off and went back to the models. And Becky still, brought the shit back. And you still had bra and panties matches during that time. By the way, China's the original one, but I want to give an honorable mention real quick to uh, Beth Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Beth Phoenix. Bucking list. Sorry, I go just one. You know what? I could go all day with this list and go change my mind because Can I feel do? like Trish was going to be an honorable mention. That being said, on my list, end of the day, I'm going with Becky over China because Becky main invented WrestleMania. That's the tiebreaker for me. I gotta agree with you. When you take women's wrestling to the main event of a show previously that people didn't think it could attain, I think you gotta give it to Becky Lynch. Now this this is gonna suck. I hate having to agree with you two schmucks. <laughs> to me, it's gotta be Becky Lynch. I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, when it comes to female wrestling, she is the man. I don't necessarily like the moniker the man just due to the fact that women's wrestling at this point has evolved to a point where to me it's just as important to be the woman as it is to be the man. But Becky Lynch at the end of the day has done so much more for women's wrestling itself than China did. AJ, if they want to give us their opinions, where can they find us? Well, first of all, I want your opinions. I want your opinions flat out because I want to be able to disagree with them like I disagree with these two. So please reach out to us. We're the Working Fans Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at, at @fansworking, on Instagram at workingfanswrestling underscore pod, and then you can find us on the email workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. Get those listen to us. Tell us your top fives. We're going to take one fan or two couple fans, take your top five, and maybe we'll mix you in here and see why you're wrong.